Everybody ready? Yep. Let's go. Lothra, Lothcat, Lothwolf, run. Pick a path and all is done. War Midwest Guys presents Star Wars Rebels HQ. Continue to allow this war to be fought on the Empire's terms. You are going to lose. All paths are coming together now. As long as we're together, we've got a chance. At least we'll go down fighting. It's time to get to work. Don't try to defend us at risk. Krennic has been quite persuasive about his own project, Star Ezra, it's not whether or not we fight. It's how we choose to fight that matters. I know, Kanan. We were meant to be Jedi, so we could be here now, when Lothal needs us most. All the paths are coming together, right? I'm just not sure if we're going to like where they lead. But we never imagined it would end. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Four Midwest Guys Presents Star Wars Rebels HQ. Today, we'll be reviewing uh, episode, Season 4, Episodes 1 and 2, The Heroes of Mandalore, Part 1 and 2. And here to help me do that is Mr. Brian Ickabauer. Hey, what's up, what's up? What's going on, B? Nothing much, man. I feel like I'm sitting closer today, not you, down the hallway. You sound very crisp. That's good, it's good. It is good. It is a good thing. Uh, so, uh, we're, we're finally here. We're finally in the final season of Rebels. It's here. We've We've had a nice long countdown, long wait. We're finally here. Um, feels good, doesn't it? To, I mean, even if it is the final season. I tell you what, I was glad to have it back on TV. Yeah. I was I was surprised. For some reason, it came on early, early morning. Yes, they're doing like four different showings throughout the day. It starts at like midnight 30, which I didn't know about, so I waited till the next morning. Yeah, I actually I, watched it that night when it came on because I was going through my DVR, and I was yeah. like, wow, that's early yeah i i didn't realize i thought they meant like midnight 30 the following the day, following day. Mm, yeah so so yeah there was a definitely uh a lot there's a lot of showings and you can even watch it on the uh there's a new disney app i think disney now i think is what it's called oh i have disney xd it takes it's place of the xd app it's new uh same kind of thing so i i watched i literally watched it that morning thinking it was only on the app kind of thing like they used to do but anyway so, but then I watched it again and again and again, and yeah, well, I only watched it once. <laughs> but I did watch it on my iPad, so it was a little bigger than a than an iPhone. iPhone, yeah. All right, so uh, let's get into the Heroes of Mandalore parts one and two. Um, since they aired back to back, we will review them back to back. So, episode starts off. Uh, they're looking for Sabine's father. Uh, he is apparently, or at least they think he's in a tower. Um, instead of, but instead of kind of doing the typical rebels thing, which is usually some sort of diversion or some sort of, uh, back door that they try to sneak in, they actually go for a full frontal assault, which was a little bit different, uh, out of character almost, I would say for the, for our group of rebels. Right. But this seemed more, this seemed more like, uh, like Mandalorian's attack than it did a rebels attack. It seemed more like, uh, Kanan and Ezra were there to help. Yeah, the man, the Mandos. Because I think didn't Ezra even say, "I'm not a Mando" or "I don't want to be a Mando" or yeah, something. Yeah, I don't want to be a Mando. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At some point, I forget when that happens, but yeah. And it also seemed like 
there was a there was a kind of a distraction where they came she, Sabine came in from the front and they said, "Hey, we have somebody. You know, we have whatever they said. We see a what is it called? Hmm? The words escaping me. What the? Do you talk about the when she pops up and the stormtrooper says we have a oh we have a a, a single no make that a multiple or whatever yeah whatever yeah, they're talking about yeah. And then I think it felt like they came in from the sides, like they were focused on her, and then all of a sudden they came in from the sides. So it yeah, well, almost rebel esque, but it still was very organized, like a, like Mandalore. Yeah, it was a uh, it was it's like a full on charge. It's like she gets up and she ignites the the dark saber, and she's leading her her forces. You know, mm-hmm. you see they're behind her, they're united behind her. Um, the other thing which. It's kind of a theme throughout the uh, the entire episode is Ezra's lack of flying ability with his uh, jetpack. It's almost like he's doing the drunken Jedi style with <laughs> yeah, fighting seemed, style with it, it. It seemed like he 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 doesn't like technology. Yeah, like that's it was that uh, he wants to use the Force and he's really good at doing that. Mm-hmm. But when it what's when he tries to do the te- techno side of it, like the technology side of stuff. He doesn't do it as well. Yeah. He's some much more, uh, he's the animal whisperer, the mm-hmm. in tune with nature Jedi than he is the technology one. So it was, um, a little bit of comedy relief, but he, you know, he also kind of uses it to its advantage. So we'll talk a little bit more about that as, as the, as we get into it. Um, we also see the return of, uh, jump trippers or AKA also known as flying stormtroopers. Um, and the other thing I noticed with that was uh, there's really no Imperial Mandos in this this episode aside from like his captain that talks with uh, with our with Saxon. Um, I didn't really catch any many flying Imperial Mandalorians. I saw a lot of flying stormtroopers. Well, I think the flying stormtroopers actually were the Mandos. I think they were just wearing the they were wearing stormtrooper the, the stormtrooper gear because they knew what the device does to the people wearing the mando gear. okay all right that would make sense i thought maybe if it was you know if the empire isn't so popular right now cuz even uh even his commander or whoever it was underneath him mm-hmm. he took off a stormtrooper head yeah he does so i think that's what it was i think they were wearing that because of the device the, the, yeah, the way the weapon worked. Yep. Um, and speaking of our new commander, we, is uh, for the the now, uh, I guess, uh, the Empire-appointed leader was Gar Saxon, and now it is his younger brother, uh, Tiber Saxon. Um, and again, he's... I don't know. What's your impressions of Tiber? I mean, to me, he seems a lot less experienced, um, a little bit more, obviously, younger... More ambitious, maybe. I, I don't know. Well, it, he also... He he doesn't seem like he has that connection to the Mando ways. Mm-hmm. Like, he's very Imperial. Yes, he's very Imperial. Like, like he has bought hook, line, and sinker into their, into their th- theology and thinking. And he doesn't really care about Mandos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more. He's, uh, he's very... Uh, I think he even says at one point in this episode, you know, the... Um, the emperor has shown me true power and I know what true power is now. And that's what I want. And blah, blah, blah. And that's what I can get, you know? So he's, he's bought in hook, line and sinker to, uh, what the emperor is selling, so to speak, or drinking the emperor's Kool-Aid. Mm, Kool-Aid. Yeah. Emperor Kool-Aid, dark side Kool-Aid. Mm. Kool-Aid. Sometimes <laughs> not only do they have cookies, they now have Kool-Aid. All right. Um, so Sabine almost gets captured. 
And luckily, though, she is saved by the return of an old, another Clone Wars character. Bo-Katan returns with her clan of... Uh, Chris. Chris, yes. I guess that's the best way to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, last time we saw Bo-Katan in the Clone Wars, she was fighting Maul, who had taken over Man- Mandalore. And there's right. that whole arc. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, so basically what we find out, though, is that after Maul left, really because of Darth Sidious, he left. But the Jedi point, pointed her, like, I guess, interim ruler, or, or or literally ruler of Mandalore. Yeah, they put her back in charge. Yeah, of. like she was in, you know, her sister was dead, so they put her in place. And she was, I guess, in their viewpoint, the next, um, I don't know what you would call it, next in line to be to rule. Or, well, yeah, I think it was, she, she was the interim, I guess you would call her, the interim. Yeah. And you could tell uh, up into a certain point in this, she doesn't think she's worthy of it. Right. Well, and, and you know, she apparently she failed because she went up. We also learned that she went up against the Emperor and refused to follow the Emperor. So the Emperor, once the Empire formed, like, he got rid of her. And then they put Gar Saxon in her place. So she feels like maybe she's failed, I guess. It's, now they put Gar Saxon or they put Tiber Saxon? Tyra Saxon is his younger brother. Gar Saxon was the guy we saw last season in Rebels, who they ended up killing off in the saber duel that he gotcha. had with Sabine. So this is his younger brother now, Tyber. Well, yeah, I knew that. So, I just couldn't remember if. Oh yeah, but yeah, it was gotcha. Gar Saxon. So, um, so yeah, and she doesn't feel worthy. She turns down because Sabine's like, "Well, this is yours. You know, the dark saber. Obviously, you, maybe you should have this." And that's when she said, "I have my chance to lead." And, you know, failed, I guess. Yeah, their Game of Thrones moment. This is your sword. Sword. Yeah, exactly. This is your sword. No, no, you should have it. You already have it. Yeah. Keep it. And honestly, of all the the races in Star Wars, I mean, the ones that you would definitely fit into a Game of Thrones would be Mandalorians. Just because, especially after what we learned throughout this episode. Uh Um, But yes, once again, uh, Dave Filoni and the team finishing off another Clone Wars storyline in Rebels. It's like... Just, you know, Clone Wars 20 years later. Oh, yeah. They're, I mean, they're tying up all those ends. Oh, yeah. Which oh, is yeah. cool for those, everybody that watched Clone Wars. Yeah, very much so. Because it, It's nice to be able to see the conclusion of stuff. Something, yeah, because it was unceremoniously just, okay, uh, George sold to Disney, uh, we're ending. <laughs> you get six more episodes, that's it. Yeah. Uh, excuse me? Uh, but, yeah, so, anyway, um... Moving on, uh, next scene is uh, Kanan and Hera, their little talk. Um, basically, I guess this, it starts off with Hera just to ask how, how it's going, and Kane says, well, Mando's, Mandalorian's on complete lockdown, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hera kind of makes a point that, you know, she she had to almost twist, you know, um, what's her name, Mon Mothma's arm in order to let him go, and right. she needs him back because they're a great asset. Uh, which kind of sets Kanan off, I guess, in a way. <laughs> well, yeah, because he's like, oh, we're an asset. Right. He's like, he's kind of like, uh, and uh, asks how she feels about his absence. He kind of turns it on her. So are we seeing Kanan trying to push himself out of the friend zone, or is this just more of him trying to think, get her to think outside of the rebellion? Because all she thinks about is the rebellion. I, I think they're already out of the friend zone. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I think they're already out of the friend zone, but I do think that her mind is solely focused on the rebellion and how she needs to help. Yeah. And it's not about them two right now. Mm. And Kanan's like, wait a minute. 
I don't even have eyesight. It's definitely about us. <laughs> right, exactly. And um, to me, and it, because really, even at the end of last season, um, uh, Sabine goes at the, um, the uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, not series, but um, season finale. Uh, Sabine's like, well, I'd like to return the favor returned uh, to Mandalore. And she's like, that's fine. You guys can go, but uh, I'm going back to Yavin 4, just so you know. So it's like her, her focus is all from that point on, which is I thought was a little uncharacteristic even then for her. Because mm-hmm. she was so dead on that I, I, I'm needed here. I have to go. I, you know, instead of helping Sabine and supporting her, which I thought was uncharacteristic for her. So I, might, I wonder if it'll come back later in the like later in the season and we might see the end of Kanan and she was on Yavin 4, part of the rebellion. You know what I mean? Like she, She's away from she him. She was away from him, and he dies, and, she, she, and then she's got to deal with that. With the loss, yeah. It's very possible. <clears throat> um, we'll see. That would be very tragic. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and very dark, really. But this show has doesn't seem to, even though it's a kid's show, doesn't uh, pull any punches when it comes to the dark. Um, and then, uh, then Hera kind of throws it back on him. He's like, are we still talking about the mission? And then Chopper gives them the get a room kind of yeah, room, yeah. I guess or whatever <laughs> so uh yeah but uh next uh next next scene is the attack on the convoy basically they get the intelligence that I guess they're moving him back to the capital her father to execute him publicly they find out yeah so. which is really funny like so the same people that gave you the intelligence that he was in the tower just gave you intelligence that he's in a convoy but magically this intelligence works and the other one didn't. <laughs> well. It's like, it's like, oh my God, plot holes. Hopefully it's a different source this time. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Bob says. <laughs> he saw him out on Route 66 heading towards the capital. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greedo over there said this and it didn't really work out. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, Boba Fett said, uh, you know, go this oh. way. Anyway. Um, so yeah, so, uh, the, the whole, it's a pretty elaborate plan. It's a pretty cool action sequence. Uh, I'm not gonna really talk much about the actions, action sequence, but it's pretty, it's very well animated. It's, oh it, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very well done. Yeah, very much so. Um, but the things to take away was, I thought was, uh, Sabine questioning Ezra about his flying after volunteering to be like the actual point guy to rescue her dad. Right. She's like, you sure you got this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I'm getting the hang of it. Maybe. Um, and I liked, uh, Sabine's use of the paint grenade here too, which, uh, was definitely not what I was expecting when she fired that thing. Yeah. It was, it was it's like, Oh, it's paint. paint. And it's effective somewhat. Um, but the, the big thing to take away is her father, whose name is, uh, Ulrich Wren, uh, recognized it right away. She goes, Oh, purple here. Sabine, Sabine's here. So was it the, because it was purple? Because it was paint? Well, well, I think he said purple. I, I believe I have to go back and watch it again. That part, but it's either way. Either he, way, he, he recognizes yeah, as soon as it was because he was handcuffed in the back, and all he looks up and sees it, and he's like, "Sabine, right?" Yeah. So he's like, "Sabine's here," you know. So it's uh, definitely like her calling card, and he picks up on that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and after some more fumbling about, Ezra makes his way inside the transport. Um, <laughs> It's a little bit of a funny scene, and Arik's like, "Are you with Sabine?" Well, yeah, I'm with Sabine. Are you kidding me? And then he kind of realizes that her dad, and goes, "Well, you know, friends, kind of, you know what I mean." Yeah, I'm with her like a friend, you know. 
Mm-hmm. Like it suddenly kicked in. He's like, oh yeah, it's her dad. So yeah, I can't say that. Um, <laughs> and as they're going along, they actually head towards a cliff, which I don't know about you, but the whole cliff scene, yep. heading towards the cliff scene, reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. 100%. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Hundred percent. I definitely got that. I was like, ah, oh, this look feels familiar. Well, it's basically every Indiana Jones movie. There's yeah, a cliff. There's a cliff, and they're getting ready to go over it. Yeah, I think even in Crystal Skull, they went over in it the, in the falls. Car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely had an Indiana Jones feel for me. Um, I like kind of like how Ezra gave his jetpack up to Ulrich here because to me, I thought it was maybe I'm reading into things a little too much, and I do. But um, he goes, I'm better off without it. And I think it's kind of like Ezra kind of growing into it. Because I don't think in season one you would have seen Ezra do that. I don't think you would have seen him. Number one, he's not strong enough with the Force. But even if he was, I don't see him giving up a weakness in season one. Like going, this is kind of my weakness. This is better off if you have it for the greater good. Like I think his ego would have taken over in season one. Yeah, I think that's one way to look at it. Yes, I would agree. He has moved and he's kind of found his niche if you will mm-hmm. but i think this also has to deal with like what we're talking about where he is not a techno like technology type person and right. he was just like you know what i am better off without it you take it you can get away i'll use the force to jump and get up there this really is kind of an adult moment for him i mean mm-hmm. you know he's kind of okay this doesn't work for me but obviously it's gonna work it'll work better for you so right and then um it was a little unrealistic, his force jumps. I kind of felt like I was playing a video game kind of sort of here, but it was still cool. It is a it is a kid show after all. I don't know. What did you think? Did you like the force jumps from transport to transport? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was good. And it, like you said, it was fun to watch. It was a kid show. It's fun to watch him do that. But I didn't understand why he made the long jumps between the transports, but then when he made the tried to make the short jump to land, he couldn't make it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm like that. The first two jumps were huge, right? And then the second one wasn't very big at all. And he's like, oh, "I can't make it." Maybe he ran out of force. Yeah, force juice. <laughs> <laughs> he he didn't drink enough of the force Kool Aid. <laughs> okay, so next scene: Sabine and all the Sabine and Ulrich uh, reunion. Um, we kind of learned a lot about Ulrich here, and I was kind of surprised by a lot of this, to be honest. Um. Ulrich um, immediately compliments her and criticizes her on her artwork. And it turns out that he himself is the artist and not a Mando fighter, but rather he fights with his art because he's an activist with his art. And he goes on and he goes and they say, you're an artist. And he goes, oh no, Ursa is the artist with the way, with how she kills people. And it's like, so you're saying that Ursa is an artist and how she kills people. So her art is death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. That's, that says a lot about their culture, about the way they think. You know. Well, it just th- it's threw me for a loop. And I was like, he's n- really nothing. Well, it's, it's... We're trying to save this guy. I'm thinking he's like a... He's like a really good strategic guy or, or he's, a, he's fighter. a fighter or warrior or something in here. He's an artist. He's an artist and he's an act. He's a political activist. Yeah. And he's like, what, what did he say? He said something. And she was like, well, you know, my art is influenced by so-and-so. And he's like, loosely. It's like, what? I know. I was totally shocked by this, but it shows you, I guess it, it, what the, the bigger thing to take out of it other than the personal part is that 
I think it shows the depth to the Mando culture here, I guess, a little bit. Not only are they a technological warrior honor bound culture, but they also use a sense they also use art. Like art history. Art history. Yeah, and, and it was really it was also kind of cool to see that there was that connection between her and her father. Yes. Like they have they share that in common. I mean, that's their 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 common fold. And yeah. it's weird because Ursa's like takes on like more of a traditional father role, I guess, as hard ass on her, because mm-hmm. we've seen that last season. Yep. He seems to be more of the nurturing type, so it's kind of like a role reversal yep. kind of thing going on, too, which is a little different. Um, and then, obviously, Ulrich does accept his daughter back. You know, he says, you were always, you know, you're always my, you are my daughter. Kind mm-hmm. of that whole whatever bad feeling she might have thought he might have had obviously didn't exist. So, right. you know, showing that. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, See what else are right here. As a side note, uh, but with uh, Ursa's death arc comment and the way he is drawn, he kind of, and maybe it was just me, but he kind of looks like Gomez Adams. Oh, he very much did. <laughs> he comes across like that. Like I could, very, very, very eccentric type. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I could totally see him like kissing Ursa's arm, like Gomez used to t- yeah. <laughs> do on the Adams family with Morticia. I don't know. I just I was like, dude, they created the Adams family. And Sabine's part of it. It'd have been really cool if he had like a pet and he's like, Thing, come here. Come here. Where <laughs> <laughs> if Uncle Fester, they had a bald guy in the family. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So uh, next uh, scene, the Saxon Empire strikes back. Um, Saxon kind of admits his defeat. He said they planned well with the loss of Ulrich. Kind of gives him that. And he tells his troops, okay, get out of the way. I'm bringing the weapon. They will all bow before the Duchess. Right, so we're all thinking, who's the Duchess? That's just right. I'm like, oh, there's a new bad guy. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to watch out. For- this will be kind of cool, you know. Maybe they've got an evil Duchess now. Anyway, we'll we'll find out. Um, and then Sabine hears this power, this this new weapon power up, and immediately she's like, no, it can't be. Yeah, there's, through the comms. Through the comms. She's mm-hmm. like, there's no way. And then she's like, she tells her Tristan mom, get out of there now. She's freaking out. I mean, completely freaking out by this point. Um then when they get there, though, all they find is scorched, scorched marks in the earth, Mando armor with a bunch of dust on it. It's turning to dust. Like, yeah. if she picks it up and it's so brittle, it's just gone. Right. Yep. And, um, and that's when Ulrich says, well, this was done by the weapon Sabine built. Right. And, and you're I, like... I, I had no idea. When did that come about that they talked about these weapons she created? They did last season. That was like the whole big thing when she was talking to Kanan when she was doing her saber training. Yeah. She's like, they blame me. I made this. I had to leave. I had no choice. This is what she built. And that because she built this weapon, then they tested it on her own people, and then they blamed her for it. Right, right. It was just so, funny. It was like, I don't remember. I didn't. I couldn't remember that, okay. that whole conversation happening. And I was like, yeah. how does he know that she made it? <laughs> yeah. But it was also weird how he came around and how he said it, too. I was just like... What dad does that? What dad just goes, well, this is the weapon Sabine built of it. Like, and ha- well, my other thing is, how did he know? Well, I imagine like I- he knew that she made stuff. Right? How did she know she made that? Well, I don't know. Maybe he was privy to some of her designs. I, I don't know. Um, but this was the so this concludes part one, and this is pretty dark ending for a kids show. Cool. I mean. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty dark. I mean, you see people disintegrated and everything else. Well, you just see, like, you see, you don't even see them disintegrate. You just see piles of ash. And you see, like, the armor where people once stood. And 
that my kid's pretty smart and I'm pretty sure she's going to, I'm going to have to tell her or she's going to figure it out before she sees part two that, yeah, those were soldiers inside that armor at one point. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It, uh, it's probably a good thing that they show part two right away though. If they had shown this just by itself and let the kids wait a week, I don't know. As parents, you probably have a lot of explaining to do. Well, I think they would have had a different cliffhanger for the, yeah, between episodes then. If this was where they were just going to end it and let show next, you know, show another week. Yeah, I think they would at least had to shown which eventually happens, which is they find Trista, Tristan and her mom alive. But otherwise, they leave it there. They're dead, <laughs> or at least you think they're dead. Right and, now, know. we see them in the, this episode, right? We see them in part two. Oh, we don't see them in this. You one. hear them on the comms. So I just, I just yeah. watched them straight through. Yeah. And, I don't really remember where they stopped. So is this we find out in the second episode why she called it the Dutchess? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's why I haven't explained it yet. Yeah. So uh but yeah, this was the end of part one, so now we're going into part two. So uh so part two of Heroes of Mandalore opens up with Part two Right where we left off and what I like to call the aftermath. Um Sabine's obviously blaming herself. Um you know Which this- is understandable. She created the device, even though she thought she destroyed it. Right. Still, here it is again. Mm-hmm. Here's, you know, here's her guilt. And this is where she picks up that piece of armor, Brian, that you were talking about. And literally just crumbles. crumbles in her hand. And here yeah. she she's thinking it was her mom and her brother. brother. Yeah. Total, like, huge drama. Yeah, pull on the heartstrings, if you will. Yeah, and then luckily you hear Ursa and Tristan survive, thanks to Sabine's warning, you know. And that they were, they were far to... enough away from the center of the... They... They were able to get four feet away. Well, they said they also said they were on the edge of the the range well, of saying. the weapon. Like, but yeah, like so, they took a four, four step right away. Okay, <laughs> but you know, Ursa Ursa is hurt. I mean, she's injured. Well, because it's like a microwave, so I'm sure she got part of it. Yeah, like she hurt her arm or like her one arm. She can't use it. Um, the Empire then comes back and attacks again. Um, you know what's you know with a whole new wave of flying stormtroopers or jump troopers. Um, mm-hmm. And they're saved by Bo-Katan. Her ship comes along and uh, they board that. And um, this is pretty cool. This whole scene that happens next where they're being pursued by two, two TIE fighters and you got Bo-Katan and Ezra standing there and he's just kind of, uh, Ezra's kind of looking at her and he goes, what are you doing? Cause she opens up the cargo bay door. She's like any Mando with a jetpack is a weapon. She flies out after one of the, the, the TIE fighters, and Ezra finally follows her. But this whole sequence I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you. Did you enjoy this? Yeah, it still had that drunken Jedi, drunken Jedi fight, fighter fight style. Where he, you know he kept moving, and then he went. He was like he had control, and then he didn't have control, and then he had control. And yeah. But I mean, it was the explosions, them flying through the explosion. That was kind of cool. Yeah, I liked how uh, you saw Bo-Katan get on top of the one TIE fighter. Rip the top rip off. Rip off and throw a grenade in, you know. You know, very, very cool. Very, mm-hmm. I always like when they use the jetpacks and stuff, which yep. you get a lot of. Um, next scene, uh, Saxon's briefing to Thrawn. Um, here's where they actually show the footage of what happened at the battle, at the after, you know, the battle with the uh, Clan Wren. Right. And, and it looks like force lightning, and apparently it's this lightning is attracted to um, what they call Beskar, which I guess is the metal alloy 
that Mando armor is made of. So it's yeah. it's specifically designed to attack the armor, and it's attracted to the armor, and eventually it literally not only does it destroy the armor, but it destroys the person. Inside well, it's a, gi- it's a giant microwave. Yeah, essentially. I mean, you're literally. I mean, have you ever put tinfoil in your microwave and seen the lightning? Oh yeah, yeah. I did. I used to get. I remember the first time I ever did that was with the Wendy's. I was young. Yeah, I did it with Arby's, yeah. 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 It was funny. I did it with uh, John and Stephanie, two of our fellow podcasters, uh, when they had their apartment. I Uh, threw the bag of Arby's in there and turned it on. It went for three seconds before I remembered, oh, it's Arby's. Yeah. But by the time I pulled it out, the whole bag was... (laughs) (laughs) It felt like that scene from uh, Back to the Future. (laughs) 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 <laughs> dropped it right into the sink and all right doc <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny um but yeah i i thought it, the way they showed it it's still a kid show but they they just showed kind of like the the crackling of the the people inside and then they just fall the dust instead of actually seeing them like disintegrate right slowly which that, that's a good way to do it if you got a kid show obviously it was definitely a disney death disney death yes very much so um so very kind of cool um the one thing I did find surprising about this whole scene is how uh, critical Thrawn is of the weapon. Um, I just wonder, like he throws out the, I wonder what your brother would think of you using this weapon. You know, because he even he's almost aware of how unhonorable it is to use this weapon in Mando culture because he's a big studier and lover of art and culture. Um, he well, almost seems to understand that. And he throws that back in, in a, uh, Tiber's face, really, which I thought was really interesting. Right, I can see that. I I took that as how would he be, you know, using a subpar weapon? Oh, okay. You know, like knowing that it's not full capacity, full, full capacity. like you have to be so close. Right. Like, what is the point? Okay. Once they know what it is, they're just going to stay outside your bubble. Okay. Uh, so you looked at it from a tactical Yeah, I looked point, at a tactical standpoint, but it makes sense looking at it from the other way, and, you know, yeah. like going against your culture and everything. But like we said, yeah. Tiber is already Imperial oh, yeah. bought in, hook, line, and sinker, and he don't care. Because he throws, throws it right back at Thrawn and goes, well, he feels nothing now, so it matters. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's his own brother. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. he's dead, so yep. it's great. Um, and then obviously Thrawn throws out, well, you need to use, you need to find Sabine... Ran and have her fix the weapon, you know, increase its range, maximum range, or right. whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, also, I also, uh, the point I wanted to bring up here do you think maybe Thrawn's being critical also because of his partial defeat? And maybe he's a little biased of seeing somebody else succeed where maybe he isn't completely. No, but I think what you're, what you're running into mm-hmm. is Thrawn and Krennic battle yeah and he knows Krennic's stardust thing is going pretty well yeah and Thrawn's like I need a fully functional weapon weapon you're giving me this partial piece of crap yeah you know yes we can kill six Mandos but they have the freaking Death Star essentially they can kill planets right I need something and at least kill a whole army yes yeah okay that's fair uh, next scene, plan to destroy the Duchess. <laughs> um, Sabine to Tristan, you know, this whole Sabine going to Tristan. I did destroy, you know, Tristan's like, how can you let that have happened? I did destroy it. It was the only prototype weapon. 
and the plans. I don't know how they did it. And um, then even Bo-Katan gets involved. She's pissed off, throws her up against the wall, and goes, how can you make create such a weapon? And um, that's when Sabine kind of, she just admits, well, I was ambitious, I was young, and I wanted to meet the challenge of it. You know, that, and I can kind of see that, can't you? Can you see a, a young, ambitious, that wants to make her mark in the world? Well, yeah, especially the, when she doesn't think the Empire is bad at the time. Right, exactly. You know, at the time, you're working for the working for the Empire, it means you're working for the good guy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the good guy turns, and you're like, crap. <laughs> exactly. You're like, shit, you know, all that work that I did was, I was actually working for the wrong side the whole mm-hmm. time. Um, which I think's justifiable. I just, I don't, I get why the Mandos are really mad at her. I just don't understand why they stay mad at her, you know, and they do loosen right. up eventually, but. Right. But, but it's the same thing. Like she was young. Yeah. I mean, like, okay, you're mad, but she was young and she thought she was going for the right side. She didn't know she was going for the wrong side. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Ezra even brings up this point. He's like, well, why don't you guys just change your armor? Dude, I said that before Ezra said it. I'm like, <laughs> just change your armor. Easy fix. Yep. And no, we can't because it's so symbolic of all of our well, ancestors and how we fought and all the blood, sweat, and tears. And I'm like, but you'll die if you wear it. I know, I know. I thought the same thing, but again, I think they're adding another layer to that that whole culture. I mean, this culture is very—it's like part. Oh, well, it's um, multi-level. Yeah. Like we at first when we first meet Bubba Fett, we think that just bounty hunter, badass bounty hunter, right? Badass bounty hunter. Don't even and know then, he's part of a culture. Or and then in the race. Clone Wars, yeah, we see oh Jango Fett, yep. and we're like he. Had somewhat of this, and then in Clone Wars and in here, we're starting to see the actual culture of where they came from, and a lot of things make sense. And it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, and it turns out they're incredibly because they have they even value their armor. It's almost like they're Japanese samurais mm-hmm. in a way with their armor because that's right. kind of the same thing. Passed right? down, from passed generation down generation to generation. generation. Thank um, God they're all the same size. <laughs> well, even to, to be fair, Sabine did say she forged it to her liking, but still. But yeah, I, I am with you. Um, so uh, they get to the uh, they get to the camp, and uh, again, Sabine is is threatened by the Mandos. <laughs> then they they're literally ready to shoot her and kill her, and that's when we see Bo-Katan kind of step in and say and speak up and goes, "Yeah, I have my reservations about it too, but she's trying to make amends, and mm-hmm. I think we should let her." Yep, and uh, kind of show us some leadership there. Right, right. Well, the first thing we that's the first time we see of Bo-Katan showing that. Right. She kind of steps up right. into that, that role. Um, and then Sabine, Sabine's like, I'll make it right. Um, so they, <clears throat> they, they, they kind of come to the conclusion that if they've got this weapon anywhere, it's going to be on Tiber Star Destroyer. And that's when they start making their plans. And so they have two goals with their plan. And it's one is to not only destroy the weapon, but to make sure this time they erase any kind of plans anywhere. Correct. The only problem I have with this, the minute they said that, I was like, okay, we just saw Rogue One last year. They have this giant database planet where they send all their plans and archive them to called Scarif. So how could Chopper make sure he erases all of that? Well, the way I, what I took from it was, again, with that whole Krennic and Thrawn, yeah. that Thrawn has been keeping this off. Off, off books. Off okay, books. there you go. I'll buy that. Yeah, like he's been keeping it off books, so 
everything is localized and he wants to just throw it out there because that's why we don't see it in Rogue One or we don't hear about it anywhere. Because he's keeping it under wraps. Yep. It's it's strictly on Mandalore. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I can buy that. that that's kind of cool. That's a cool way of thinking about it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, and then Thin Rao brings up a good point during this whole thing. He goes, well, can't we use this weapon on the storm stormtrooper armor? And even Sabine's like, yeah, you know, I do know a lot about stormtrooper armor. So, yeah, I, I have thought about it. And once again, though, Bo-Katan speaks up in the leadership role and she goes, no, that's not the Mando way. That's not the Mandalorian way. Right. We don't fight like cowards. <laughs> but I look at it as, hey, we could have prevented Star Wars from happening. <laughs> just turn the damn thing on and all the stormtroopers die. Well, it just, <laughs> it just shows you how strong that culture is. Or how and, retarded they are. <laughs> well, yeah, but they, they, they play by a rules. By set True, up they play by rules. Yep. And got half the even, fucking galaxy killed. And even if the Empire doesn't, they do. You know, they set themselves to a higher standard. Yeah. So... Um, and there's a nice little scene between Fen, Rao, and uh, Bo-Katan where he's like, "Are you? You're most, you look like you're defending her, so you must be just as impressed with Sabine as I am. And she's like, yeah, I am, and I think I'm, I'm here to support her, which is kind of a cool little, little tidbit, I guess, to Sabine, even though Sabine's not completely in a leadership role yet. She's still very young, right? but they see the potential in her, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Um Next scene is the attack on Tyra Star Destroyer. Um, they arrive, and the first thing they notice is the core of the weapon is missing from the, the walker. Um, and then they uh, they theorize that it must be on the upper part of the hangar where it's working. Um, a battle erupts in the hangar. Uh, they kind of split up into three teams, I guess you could say. Uh, Bo-Katan Sabine head towards the re- weapon's core. Ezra, Kanan, and Chopper, which I think is a little bit of overkill, they head for the Empire... The the Star Destroyer's computer core. Well, they always put the Rebels together. That's what it is. I guess, but do you need two Jedi to go with Chopper? Well, there's always two Jedi. Well, I, I know, but... Do even, you... with, even with uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and uh, Obi-Wan. I know, but I would have... I don't know. I To me, you put Ezra with, you know, at least in the battle, or you put him... He does end up back in the battle eventually, but still. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so... Uh... Bo-Katan finds out Sabine uh, calls, and this is where it is. Where Bo-Katan, we find out Sabine called the weapon the Duchess. Which is hilarious. So the weapon itself <laughs> is called the Duchess. And ironic that it she calls it. Uh, and first of all, Bo-Katan's pissed off, seriously, and like, you called it the Duchess? And so he's just like, series of bad decisions, okay? <laughs> yeah. Like a teenager would or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ironic thing about the Duchess Satine was she was a pacifist. Yeah. So she has a weapon named after her, which I found hilarious. But it's the watching the Clone Wars and all that because she was a she wasn't just a sly pacifist. She was like dedicated, hardcore, always questioning even Obi Wan at mm-hmm. the time and the decisions he made as a Jedi. Right. Uh, pacifist kind of thing. So. Um, so up on the upper level, uh, they find the weapon, and as soon as they find the weapon, Saxon turns it on and. Zaps them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you. Did you think they should have just jumped out of the way or got away as soon as they heard it turn on? You know, because they, they, even Sabine goes, the weapon's activating. I don't think it would have mattered. I mean, we saw, we saw what happened later. Yeah. It wouldn't matter where she was. You don't think they would have been able to get out of range? Nope. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so he zaps them with it. 
And he goes, this is a low-level burst, just so you know. You won't die, but, you know. You'll learn a lesson. You'll learn a lesson. <laughs> and then, obviously, he's like, well, either you fix this or I'm going to shoot Bo-Katan. And at this point, though, even in his captain, Captain Hark, I believe it, who is still in the Imperial Mando gear, turns to him and goes, and I'm still not sure why it didn't strike him, by the way. And he turned on the weapon, even though I guess he was off off camera at the time, but or seen. Because he's wearing Mandalorian gear. I don't know. Was he wearing Mando gear? Was yeah, he wearing he's wearing Imperial, Imperial Mando gear. So I don't know if that's the same. I think it's made differently. Okay. Even, but even... Because when she does it to the other it gets him. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, um, but even Captain Hark, who's in the Imperial Mando gear, for the, and this is the second time because he does it earlier in the episode, he, he stops and he goes, the Empire's going to use this on us. You dumbass. Yeah. What's yeah. to stop them? Using yeah. It on us. I, I can't help it. You know, and then even Saxon's full of himself, completely full of himself by this point. He goes, well, I am the Empire. <laughs> Meaning he thinks he's he's in that, control. He had that much control. Yep. Um, yeah. It's also funny that you know Saxon's in stormtrooper. We kind of talked about this a little bit already. That he's in stormtrooper gear, um, and we already you think it's because of his plan, and we also we've all already talked that he has no regard for Mando concert honor. So Correct. That's why he's in it as well. Um, so Sabine switches the Duchess settings from Mando gear to Stormtrooper gears. She she's switching it, but he he thinks she's fixing it to, to increase range. the range, which she is. It is. But she it's also hit a few extra buttons. buttons, right? And if I don't know, maybe it's because he's young and arrogant and stupid. But if I'm him, I'm watching exactly what she's doing. But he doesn't know what she's doing because she, he, if he knew what she was doing, he would have done it himself. True. So he just sees her messing with him. He's like, ha I got her to do it. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I just can't believe he's that stupid. Um, but yeah, so she switches it to Stormtrooper uh, gear uh, and max range hitting all the Stormtroopers in the entire ship, not just... Including Ezra. Ezra, who's got the hat on. His helmet immediately takes throws it off. It off like, yeah. Son of a bitch. Um, doesn't say that, but still. Um, and that's where I think I'm like, hmm, so she can eliminate all the stormtroopers from the Empire. And the other one's like, no, don't do it. Well, yeah, because she's like, even Sabine's pretty pissed off at this point. It's like, she's going to kill them all. And again, Bo-Katan, a little bit of leadership role goes, no. You can either fight like a Mandalorian or you can fight like the Empire like a coward. Well, so. you know, in this scene, it looked like um, from Return of the Jedi when the Emperor with the lightning mm-hmm. and he's just looking over and he's like all that rage. Yeah. That's what it looked like for Sabine. Like you could see the lightning in her eyes mm-hmm. and it was like, ooh, dark, dark side. side. <laughs> <laughs> but she brings, you know, bo brings her back from the brink and yeah. instead she strikes it with the, strikes the Duchess with the dark saber, sending it into an overload. Uh, the Rebels and the Mandos escape, and this damn thing, this weapon is so powerful, even an overload, it blows up the entire Star Destroyer. So, mm-hmm. some serious power with this weapon, obviously, and just another example of it. Um, and then the final scene is the what I like to call the passing of the Darksaber. Um, Sabine, again, reiterates, you're the rightful rule of Mandalore. Bo-Katan starts to kind of, you know, resist again. And then they open up the door and she goes, oh, there's people willing to follow you. And then all of a sudden there's like, I think five or six clans there. Was yep. it Clan Vizsla, Rook, Eldar, uh, how do you say it? Kais? Kais? Kais. Kais. 
uh, Ren and the Protectors, which is just Fenral now, but still. All pledge loyalty to her, so she picks it up. She ignites the lightsaber before everybody kneels before her. Um, I don't know about... I thought this was a cool scene. So now we know Bo-Katan is the leader of... Uh, it's going to lead the the Mando Civil War. And the Civil War will go on beyond these two episodes. So remember, we were kind of worried they were only going to give us right. two episodes. And they still might only, but still. Um, so they've established that. And I think this also establishes Sabine... So, good question. Yeah, go ahead. You're saying that she's united all these clans. Mm-hmm. Who is the Civil War against? The Empire. That's not a Civil War, though. It's it's kind of is, because I, I'm assuming at this point that there are still... Imperial Mandos? Ma- Imperial Mandos out there, or Mandos that are still loyal to the Empire. Oh, I took it as this was the end of the Mando War, and she just united all the houses. She could be. I don't know how many houses there are, though. I'd have to research that. But that's, that's the way I took it, because I was like... Well, that's the end of the end of the the Mando Civil War. The Mando Civil War. It could be. It could turn into like a rebellion, you know, kind of thing. If the, if that is every house, but I imagine there's more than just six six clans. I would think. I don't know. Um, I don't think they've even explored that. So I'll have to see. Maybe Wikipedia will have something on there. I'll have to check it out. Um, but yeah. So I think this also reestablishes it so that Sabine can leave and go off on her adventures with with the rebels because I know there for a while we were thinking we would never see her again. Right. Like she was going to leave the show. show. Right. But now it looks like, especially with this, now that there's somebody else to lead them, that she can go off with the rebels again. Yeah. She can go back with her family. Her other family. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Um, overall, Brian, um, um, well, real, let's just go right into uh, final thoughts and greats. Right, Brian. So, uh, what did you think? Uh, final thoughts and grades for uh, let's just put it all together. Uh, Heroes of Mandalore Part One and Two. Um, I thought it felt flat. Really? Um, yeah. I thought you really did these actually. I, I I didn't care for them. I thought I would. I think it, the only thing I really did like was the jetpack scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't care a whole bunch to find out that they were artists. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't strike me. Like I, yeah. I wanted to see the warrior stuff, and you want to see that, the warrior side. Yeah, that, that, was, that was, side. I think much much cooler. But for me, these episodes didn't feel like a like a put us on our journey for this final season type of episodes. It kind of mm-hmm. felt like a filler. Ep- like we could have done this a little later, like a filler episode. Right. It's not a filler episode, obviously, because it has its own story arc, and it's pretty important information. Right. But it didn't feel like a kickoff. Mm. Like, it didn't set okay. us up with the new big bad right. for this season. It didn't set us up saying, you know, wrong, who's in charge, or anything mm. like that. I don't know. I just, I felt it felt flat. Well, you know, and um, I think we had the same feeling at the beginning of season three, and then when we got to the second episode of season three... That's when we we found the they did merge the holocrons and that's when it got really good. So right, but this is first two episodes. I, I know. So <laughs> I'm looking at it. I'm really looking at this as one giant episode. Correct. I'll do the same thing. So I'm hoping the next episode we get next week's double double, double show double double series okay. hour long uh, will be more about that. I hope so. The season's gonna be um, things I took away from it was I thought this was. Um, 
obviously we went really deep into um, into the uh, uh, Mandalorian uh, culture. Got a lot of information about how they usually look at things, how they view things symbolically, artistically. Um, we got to see a lot of good action scenes with him as well. I also thought this was a big growth arc for both uh, Sabine, but especially Bo-Katan. Um, you know, in the Clone Wars, Bo-Katan was the rebel, the terrorist, uh, against her pacifist sister and in this group called Death Watch. And through this episode, these two episodes, you see her actually show great wisdom and leadership and humility. Um, so I don't know if that could be from her previous leadership role that we never got to see, or maybe it's just time itself, maturity itself, because when you're young, you're, you think one way and as you get older, but, you know, I definitely don't think like I did when I was 20 and I'm 40 now. So, you know, that cool kind of thing. So, um, and for Sabine, it was really cool to see her kind of take her first steps in the leadership role, even though she wasn't quite ready yet. Yeah, I mean, she got a first taste of it, and I think the other thing with Sabine was um, she got that retribution, like mm, very much so. Know, like I'm trying to help, I'm trying to correct my wrongs. Right. Like she she confronted her past, and and it literally came back to bite her in the middle of the arc. And she confronted it and she beat it. And resolution. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so a lot of good stuff here. Um, overall, uh, what's your grade? What do you think? Um, I would probably give it. B minus B okay. somewhere around there. Yeah, I gave it a B, B plus. Um, yeah, yeah, it 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 was it was good, but like you, I think it it was it was maybe not the greatest thing to start off the season with, like off the bat or anything like that. Um, so yeah, overall, I guess it did solid B plus. Um, all right. So real quick, where can you find four Midwest guys? Uh, real quick, it's real simple, real easy. Now you just hop on the web, you type in the number four. And you type in MidwestGuys.com. Again, that's the number four, MidwestGuys.com. Right there, you'll find everything that we have. You'll find links to our iTunes, to our uh, uh, Podbean, to our Facebook, to our Twitter accounts, and as well as all of our podcasts are there in chronological order and is categorized by links at the top. So if you just like Star Wars Rebels, you click Star Wars Rebels and get all of our Star Wars Rebels podcasts. If you like our Game of Thrones, there's actually two of them. You can either click uh, the Night's Watch or you can click Houses and Our Deli. They're each categorized for you. Every episode is all there. One-stop shop, number four, MidwestGuys.com. Uh, Brian, anything you want to add? Um, did, you, did, you have, did you put our Twitter on uh, both of them? I will be putting all of our Twitter accounts on. Okay, right so now it's just the four Midwest Guys Twitter. Okay, so that's at four Midwest Guys. Yes. And then mine is at AnkZone, A-N-K-Z-O-N-E. Right. And, and yours is at B. Willie 1977. So make sure to check us out there and uh, definitely give us some feedback, give us some interaction, ask us questions. We would love that. I know Brian definitely would. He's our, more of our uh, our uh, social media guy. But, right, uh, right. But uh, I, we would love to uh, hear what you what you think and maybe what, what you want to hear from us. Uh, well, yeah, we'd like to hear fan theories so we can oh, yeah. discuss them on our podcast. We want to hear uh, what you guys think about those. We want to hear what you guys think about our podcast mm-hmm. so we can change if we need to or keep it the same. So uh, reach out to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Brian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. And this is B. Willie saying, may the force be with you always.